I want to know and understand how on earth you decide where to go. I know that sounds like a really basic question, but how do you decide on a location? Do you identify a subject that you want to photograph and then you go there? Or do you choose a location because it might have a cross-section of those animals? So you should come and work for us because we need people of your brains and ability. Oh, really? to, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you That's should. a pretty basic question. But there's, there's two screens. The first screen is uh, authenticity. Uh, we're not going to do particularly well to go and photograph the Eiffel Tower tomorrow. We know it's there. Or the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Um, or Rome, the Colosseum of Rome. We all know it's there. And you can extend that parable further. You can, you, can, you can go all around the world and say, these places have been way over-photographed. So to be authentic is the first filter. So the first thing we think about is, has it been done before and has it been done well before? And in 95% of the time, the answer is it has been done before. And in most cases, somewhere along the line, it's been done well. But you're still going to get some through. Uh, and the second filter is a pragmatic one, which is commerciality. We have um, um, expression here called Komodo Gate. And Komodo Gate, basically, what, what, what it's in, uh, alluding to is the idea that we've looked into pictures of the big Komodo dragon in Indonesia, uh, and they live on three islands, one of which is called Komodo. But the best ones are in a place called Rinka, which is about a kilometer away. And we feel that if we went there with, our, with a good team, with the best people on the ground, we could get a picture that doesn't transcend all others, because that would be incredibly arrogant to say that, but a picture that we think might be strong, immersive, intimate, captures these enormous lizards in their natural habitat uh, in a way that maybe elicits some sort of reaction in people. So it passed the authenticity test or originality test. The problem is I think it would fail the commerciality test because who wants a bloody giant lizard on their wall? Who's going to want to part with the same amount of money as a small car to have a a lizard with sort of drool coming out of its mouth coming towards you? And the answer is probably very, very few people. So which is why we call it Komodo Gate because a lot of our ideas path pass on authenticity and originality but they don't pass on commerciality so we all the time just like so many people like what your friends would do on a monday morning we throw ideas around and wherever i am in the world we will have a monday morning meeting because i'm quite often in the west coast of america those monday morning meetings tend to be at five o'clock in the afternoon and we'll just it's uh Idea generation enfranchises everyone, from a 10-year-old up to a 90-year-old. In fact, it's the young people that quite often got the best ideas because they're more in touch with contemporary society. Um, And most of the ideas I dismiss, and then occasionally we'll just go and go, that's a great idea. So, for instance, tomorrow I go to Los Angeles and we are recreating stills from The Wolf of Wall Street. Um, is it original? Well, it's not necessarily totally original because the film's out and, there's, and now there's immersive theatre out about it and whatever. But I think where we do have a bit of originality is Jordan Belford, who is the wolf, is collaborating with us. I'm seeing him for dinner tomorrow night, Thursday night. And 
we've got dealing rooms, we've got ticker screens, we've got all, and we're bringing wolves. So rather than having DiCaprio as the wolf, we'll have real wolves as the Wolf of Wall Street. And we'll then, everything else, we'll just see what happens. And we've got a whole host of girls trying to play Margot Robbie, which will be quite fun. <laughs> for you, yeah. <laughs> for my team, not for yeah, me. Yeah, Too much sure, pressure for sure, me. Sure, sure, sure. And uh, we'll just see what happens. Uh, so I think that certainly if we get that right, it's commerciality. Mm. Uh, uh, and if we get it wrong, it's expensive. And But it always had authenticity because... I haven't seen it being done before um, because I think we have better relationships with wolves than most people in America, so the, the wolves are coming. And so important to try something different, new, push the boundaries. I am, um, I have a hell I've, um, I don't know whether I've got ADD or whether I've got a, um, I'm paranoid of the mundane. I think if my friends would tell me that I'm probably. I'm paranoid of the mundane. I don't do mundane. And as an artist, as an original content... It's funny because everyone associates original content with uh, Hulu and Amazon Prime and Netflix, but we actually are an original content brand. We have to have original content in order to be able to finance the projects that we do. And where we might have found ourselves in a sweet spot is because we're taking it on on our own, if we've got an idea at a time when a lot of editors are clamping down on money they can spend on photographic still content, we can throw money at it. So we don't, we're, we're, we're not scared to spend uh, $250,000 on a two-day shoot so long as we've got all the ducks in line. Whereas for just about everyone else, that is a bridge too far. Mm. But we've got to get it right. Wow, that's an incredible place to be, isn't it? You've created that, you've got to that point through sheer determination, hard work and creativity and everything else. Um, One thing I'm curious about is you talk a lot about needing, wanting to elicit an emotional response from a picture. How do you know you've got that until somebody steps back and looks at the photo? Uh, It's a good question, it's another good one. Um, I think we, we know... 90% 90% of the time and the 10% we get it wrong is probably that we're too tough on ourselves I think the toughest edit is ourselves and we sometimes uh, dismiss pictures that other people's engage with if we think we've got it we probably underestimate what it might mean to other people just because we were there at the time and we're slightly used to it I took a picture six weeks ago um, of the two biggest elephants in the world and uh, I remember even coming back it was about 7.30 in the morning and I remember coming back to camp at about midday and looking at the picture on the screen and whatever and then just going and playing cards with the team and totally slightly forgetting that we'd taken that picture because we were, we were there and we were used to it. And when we, uh, when we decided how to price it, we all d- decided how to price it that afternoon again, which was probably an error. And six weeks later, there's none left around the world. So we obviously made an error in that afternoon um, because we went too low. In the Pink is sponsored by Bose. Treat your ears and your senses with the Bose Noise Cancelling 700 series. 
Their unrivaled noise cancelling technology means you'll hear and be heard like never before. And touch and voice recognition means you're free to keep your head up and you'll never miss a thing. So I think there are times when it works the other way. Um, and a lot depends on the animal. Um, I took a picture in uh, uh, the most northerly town in the world, which is a place called Pyramid. It's about uh, 80 degrees north. It's a Russian mining town. And there's only about 10 people live there. It's abandoned. Yeah. And uh, Sounds bleak. It's, yeah, it's, it's cold and bleak. Uh, and if you're going to be photographing the most northerly town <laughs> in the world, uh, what do you want in front of it? You want a polar bear, and when the polar, when I got a polar bear in front of it, with shafts of light coming through the late afternoon cloud, it had a Game of Thrones feel to it, and I was so excited that night that I got the picture. But it was maybe partly because I was in such a remote place, which is normally empty of content, and. I, I, I had no radio contact with my team. We were outside radio contact. There was no way of getting hold of anyone. And when I got back to the place where we could call people, I said to, I said to my team, I've got a great picture. Um, and since then, we haven't sold one copy of that picture. And so it works the other way. And I think part of that reason is sometimes when you are in an extreme place, you want to you clutch onto straws. You want to say, I've, got, I've managed yeah. to garner something from this. But it doesn't resonate with other people because other people, unless, yeah, unless they're a Game of Throners and they imagine sort of life north of the wall or whatever, mm. it just didn't strike a chord. So we get it wrong sometimes, but mostly we get it wrong the other way. Mm. Which um, is the good way around to get it wrong, yeah, I, I guess. I guess. But I, I notice you talk about they, we, um, in the plural. But ultimately, this comes down to you, doesn't it? Um... I mean, there's probably your modesty preventing you from just talking about yourself, but uh, this has got to be your decision, surely, and in that moment, you know, uh, your gut instinct tells you if, you, think, if you've I, captured a moment. I think, I think uh in the whole business, there's a lot of people, but in terms of the garnering of original content, uh, there is me, but then there are people that we work with in the field that are critically important to us, and we we think we work with the best people and those people are local to wherever we go so if we're trying to photograph orangutans in the middle of a jungle in Borneo we're obviously going to use different people to photographing polar bears mm. in, the, in, in the north slope of Alaska and they will be best in class and they will be people that we incentivize we've kind of tried to change things in terms of how people in the field are paid if you pay people in the field a day rate like everyone else, that's fine. But I don't think you harbour any sense of partnership. Mm. So what they might not go above and beyond. Yeah, it's mm. it, to me, it's a bit like going into um, a, a den of ill repute in the old days in the Wild West. You go and do what you have to do, and then you leave, and mm. it's very cursory and perfunctory. Whereas what what we want to do is harbour a sense of partnership, and that means that whoever we work with in the field whenever we send a picture where they have been involved with they continue to get paid which means that someone in Kenya or someone in Borneo or an Inuit Mm. cannot just earn $500 because $500 is fantastic 
in, in the community they might live in, but it's not going to change things. But if you can turn around and say, if you really, really want to help us, we can pay $25,000, uh, then that does make a difference. Mm. And I, we do feel that it means that they'll go the extra mile for us, mm. uh, whether that's getting up at three in the morning, whether it's um, just not, not breaking rules, but going the extra mile. Mm. And the extra mile doesn't tend to be too crowded, we find that. that. Well, yeah, that tells you a lot about those people that you work with. How, how do you strike that balance between the controlled environment and the wild? And how much is that sort of fraught with jeopardy and danger? And do you get a kick off that? There's like four questions in there, sorry. Yeah, so I do... Um, but how do, you, how do you decide what's appropriate? So when we work with wild animals, it's always, they're always wild. Um, we just know the rules, we know their behaviour, um, whether it be polar bears or tigers or lion, elephant. It's actually the animals that people don't suspect that are the most scary, <laughs> like crocodiles and snakes. Or like humans. I, or humans. <laughs> I had a dream last night and I screamed in the middle of the, jumped out of my bed and charged around because I thought I was being attacked by a snake. Snakes, snakes and crocodiles I get most scared about. Um, when we do controlled shots, and by controlled shots, they tend to be staged stuff with animals that are um, habituated, that they can live with humans um, or not bite humans. But they'll always have a, a trainer or a wrangler with them. In those circumstances, like with the Wolf of Wall Street, those are, those are not going to be wild wolves no. that we've just you know, picked up from Montana. They will, be, they will live in a sanctuary. They'll still, if they see a rabbit, they'll go for the rabbit. But... They, they won't bite some, which is quite useful because some of the girls that we've worked with with wolves are very expensive and we wouldn't want a lawsuit for a bite on Cindy Crawford's ear. Um, but uh, If I was a wolf, I wouldn't go for her ear, just so you know. No, she, that's probably right. Me neither. The, uh, I think um, it puts more pressure on the photographer because if the animals are to an extent under your control, the only person that can mess it up is the photographer. And uh, that puts a bit of extra, like this shit in LA, the person that basically, if we don't get it right, the person that will be blamed is me. Whereas in the wild, um, if things don't work out, it is the nature of the game, that is nature. And quite often we come back from the wild uh, with nothing. In the Pink is sponsored by Tag Heuer, Swiss avant-garde since 1860. Excellence, precision and elegance their timepieces are designed for those who love challenges. Make sure you run like clockwork and never miss a thing. It's a, like a big game fisherman. It's a Hemingway story that the old man in the sea, you, you do come back quite often with nothing. But that is, that is entirely consistent with having occasionally differential content because if all the time you succeeded... Something's wrong. Mm. That you should. There should be periods where you just and say. There'll be more people doing it. Exactly. Mm. So, um, and, and our rule of the thumb is a failed trip in the wild is because we take a, t a film crew most of the time. So, a failed trip is fifty grand. So, if we if we do a trip somewhere and we don't get something, that's fifty grand, mm. and and that's that's good. It's well, good. It's a chunk of cash, though, it's isn't a it? Chunk in it, but it focuses the mind. Um, the difference between us and Netflix, dare I say it, albeit they're 10 billion times our size, <laughs> is that when Netflix 
um, produced a series like The Crown, which, as we know, is eight million an episode. They will amortise the cost of that programming through the potential life of the series. So, if they think The Crown is going to be is, is six years worth of subscription, they will amortise that cost over the six years. If we um, have a failed trip or a successful trip, it goes through the P&L that day. And that really focuses the mind in terms of, are we doing the right thing? And I, I guess if we have too many failed trips, and um, we go through uh, two failed trips in a row this summer. So, so how, how often are we talking, though, in, in a year, for example? We'll how do, many trips would you do and how many would we'll be about, we'll about 18, 18 assignments a year. Yeah, and how many of those wouldn't work? I would say six, wow. five, five. And how, how does that leave you feeling? Um, well, on the way back, you just look at trips that have succeeded. Yeah. You go it's like a senior shrink. You go and you say, <laughs> well, we messed up this time, but look what I got three yeah, years ago. Absolutely. It's always the sign with all of us. When we're at the airport on the way back from not getting anything um, other than having a drink, we probably look at things that have gone well. And we remind ourselves that it's not that easy. The failure, success is 99% failure. I'm convinced of the fact that it's through failing you learn to succeed. Mm. Because you never want to make the same mistake twice. Um, you learn. Even if the elements, the odds have been against you, you think, well, I'm not going to do that that time. And, uh, so there is an iterative relationship between failure and success. Mm. I think. We touched on loneliness uh, in your previous life. Mm. Uh, do you ever get lonely when you're out on these shoots in the middle of nowhere? Because I'll tell you one thing that I found from, from travelling a lot with work um, and this is this is more so before I had kids, was that you went to some, I went to some incredible places, and I felt a real emptiness in that moment because I really wanted to share that with somebody that I really loved. And I wondered, you must have seen some beautiful things, some beautiful moments and sunsets, you know. If you're not sharing that with someone you love, do you come back keen to return and have a more kind of emotionally enriched experience? Uh, the short answer to that, of course, is yes. Um, but you make up. And my son is 16 now, uh, my daughter's 19. And, but my son is doing a lot of photography and he comes on trips. And the joy I get from him s- saying things like, that was the most awesome day of my life and oh. thank you so much. So it's, it's payback time. Yeah, there's been North Korea. I've spent time in North Korea. I've spent time in Mongolia on my own. North Korea on your own for 10 days is quite tough. Um, and um, I, there are trips, there are assignments that uh, my team don't like the extreme cold. They prefer the heat and the jungle, whereas I don't like the jungle. But sometimes... Because of the snakes. The snakes and the, everything bites you. Every, just everything bites you. Yeah. Um, and you can't it can't cool down and if you want to go for a swim there are things that eat you in the water and stuff yeah and I, 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 I'm all for the four seasons not all the time <laughs> but whenever whenever I come back from the jungle I just say take me to the four seasons yeah. 